0: Just curious, uh, any of you ever experienced this personally or at least seen this thing happen where a child's at the pool, maybe they're four or five years old, they've got the little water wings on their arms and the parent is in the water saying, come on, come on. You know, the parent's going to catch him. Just jump, just jump. And the little kid moves forward and then moves back and forth And they're scared. And the parent's pleading with them. And, and finally, the little kid maybe turns away altogether, you know, and they're crying. They're, they're thinking that the water is sure death. The parent's not going to catch him or whatever it is. And then occasionally it ends well. The child jumps in the water. And what usually happens? Big smile. The kid's happy. A whole new world has now opened up to the child. I share that image to start with because um, in the first service, it was impressed on me that that I really believe the Spirit of God wants to give that image, not just to some of us this morning, but each and every one of us. Uh, I'll come back to this, but I believe the Father is here with His arms open wide, and He's going to ask us to jump into something that we perhaps are scared of, we feel we can't possibly contend with and it just feels like a complete uh, a completely uncomfortable situation for us okay we're in this series called live out the Love and what we've said each week is this that when you go to this book when you go to this revelation that God has left to us it reveals that the creator of the universe, is love personified, that he is governed, that everything that he does is always governed by his sacrificial love. Even though he is absolutely almighty, has control over everything, he chooses to only do those things that are led and ruled by his own sacrificial love. And the way that his love expresses itself best, the way it was expressed to us in humanity, the way it was expressed when Jesus, the creator of the universe, came down to this earth was in that he took on the form of a servant, it says. And so servanthood is the natural expression for love. If we love anyone or anything, we show it, it manifests itself, it's a natural, spontaneous kind of a connection that we serve. Now let me go a step further. This God of ours is so wonderful, so amazing, so intelligent, so understandable, so safe. He's the best person in the universe. He's not some foolish, superstitious being that expects us to just go through some rituals or say some memorized prayers, and then that appeases Him. No, no, no. He he really has the capacity for an intimate relationship with each and every one of us that He's created, and that's what He wants. And so, He wants for each of us to experience the fullness of the design or the nature that he's given us so the best gift that God could give going way back into the eons of eternity past is to make beings that have the exact capacity to experience life that God himself does now I'm not saying that we're going to be God I'm not saying that we are God but I'm saying that just like God has mind emotions reason and will and and feels different things so he created us Compare, for example, a human being to a dog or a bird or any, any other animal. They don't have the capacity to experience life on the level we do. So the most loving thing that this God could do is create beings in his own image. And so he created humans in his own image. And yet the scripture says that God's image... Is that of a servant? Jesus said that the one that is greatest is the one that serves, not the one that is being served. In our world, there's so much push to see how much power you can accumulate and how many people you can get under your control get to serve you. But Jesus said that's not greatness. Jesus says greatness is when a person gives their life to serve others. When a person has, first of all, the desire. And then the capacity, the, the space, they're, they're free from their own self-absorption to the point that they can serve others, much less, you know, even want to serve others. So this image of servanthood, it's a part of your, a part of my spiritual DNA, It's one of these things that if you want to find yourself, if you want to realize or actualize yourself, if you want to find fulfillment, if you want to find meaning, if you want to be fully human, fully alive, however you express it, it's going to involve you and I becoming servants. Uh, Just like the God that created us is a servant, so shall we be when we're fully human, fully alive. Now, so much is this imprint of servanthood on us that we will naturally find ourselves serving something or someone. We almost can't help it. We will find something to center our lives around and give ourselves to. The Apostle Paul, writing to brand new Christ followers in the city of Rome, he writes about this potentiality or propensity really, we have to serve something to orient or center our lives around something and become its servant. And he kind of divides the entire world, every human being into one kind of servanthood or another kind of servanthood. So let's see what it says in Romans chapter 6. He says, you belong to the power which you what? Choose to obey. It's whoever I'm choosing my spontaneous choice to obey that power is who owns me, who I belong to. You belong to the power you choose to obey, whether you choose sin, whose reward is death, or God, obedience to whom, means the reward of righteousness. Now let me just pause for a minute and talk about sin because sin is, is being given so many, you know, Unintelligent cliches in places like this, in church world, sin is kind of portrayed as like, you know, God's got all power and so he can just make up rules because he can and nobody can define. So he makes up some rules. And if you obey the rules, he's pleased with you. If you don't obey the rules, he's not pleased with you. This This is so far from the truth. God designed us in his image, as I said earlier. And because we are made in his image, God knows that certain things build us. They make us better. They make us happier. They elevate the quality of our life they cause social relationships to improve in quality, and he knows that other things hurt us ultimately and hurt us socially, hurt one another. Those things he calls sin. Sin is simply living, knowingly or unknowingly, contrary to the way God designed me. God is not some fuddy-duddy trying to spoil our fun. He's a loving parent trying to lead us into the fullness of life. It's no different than when you tell your child, you know, "Don't, don't take that butter knife and stick it into the toaster. You know, you don't want the child to get a shot. It's it's just that simple. So he says, don't do certain things because they're just going to injure you whether you understand it or not. So that's what the scripture is talking about with sin. Now let me go on. He says, thank God that you were at one time the servants of what? You know me, man. I'll I'll wait you out. (laughs) We're going to do this together today. (laughs) So we were one time the servants of sin. Now, it's not like we were necessarily consciously saying, gee, I want to wake up today and serve sin. It's just saying that when we are not connected to God, when God is not the center, then we will serve something, and it tends to be self, and self produces sin. So, at one time, you were the servants of sin, but you honestly responded to the impact of Christ's teaching when you came under its influence. It goes on, then released from the Service to sin, notice when we trust Christ, we're released from the service of sin. You entered into the service of righteousness. I use an everyday illustration because human nature grasps truth more readily that way. He goes on. In the past, you voluntarily gave your bodies to the service of vice and wickedness for the purpose of becoming wicked. So now give yourselves to the service of righteousness for the purpose of becoming what? And there's something in here that I'm going to come back to later on in the message. It is this connection between what I give myself to, what I do, and what I become. It says that some people, they give themselves to sin and become further wicked. Other people give themselves to the service of righteousness and become really good or really righteous. Doing brings development. What we we do tends to be what we become. And we'll talk about that a little further on in this. So I want to start out by emphasizing that this issue of servanthood, living out the love in service, is just a part of human nature. And it's a part of us that until we develop it, we'll always have that sense that something is lacking in life, something is missing. So to emphasize again the essentiality of servanthood, let me show you a few portions of Scripture. The Apostle Paul writing to a man named Titus In the New Testament book of Titus, he says, of Jesus, it says he gave his life. So if we were to ask the question, why did Jesus give his life for us? And it's talking about the cross. Why did Jesus sacrifice his life on the cross? He gave his life to free us from what? Every kind of sin. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus died on the cross just to save us from the penalty of sin. You, you know, so that we could go to heaven, so, so that God would, wouldn't have to pour out his wrath on us, so that he could forgive us. But, but, th- but this says he wants to save us from actual sin, the actual sins that I'm hung up on, stuck on, practicing habituation in my life. It says, right now, Jesus' sacrifice was meant to influence me in such a way that the power of the practice of every kind of sin is broken in my life to the point that I'm free of it now in this life. Randy, don't start talking that sinless stuff again. Nobody's perfect, Randy. Nobody's going to be sinless. Not saying that. But I'm certainly saying this passage, as well as multiple other passages, indicate that when I trust Christ, the power of sin is broken in my life so that even though I may not be sinless, I should be sinning less. Okay, can we at least agree on that? that it's normative for a Christian to sin less than they did before they put their trust in Christ. But nevertheless, it says, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us. This is talking about interior motives, clean mind, clean heart, you know, all that. The spirit of God is willing to do that in us and to make us his very own people. But what kind of people? So Jesus wants to make us his very own, very special people. But what kind of people? People that are what? Totally committed. That's a big two words. We're we're not totally committed to many things. Jesus gave himself on the cross because he wants a people that are totally committed to good deeds. That means that they're so committed to good deeds, they do good deeds when people know it and when people don't know it. They do good deeds when people appreciate it, when they don't appreciate it. They do good deeds just because they understand Jesus, the servant, the creator of the universe, ever lived to do good. And so we want to walk in his footsteps. So the essentiality of servanthood, Jesus died to have a servant people, a people that are totally committed To good deeds. Let's pause right there. Are you totally committed to good deeds? Are you? Are you totally committed to good deeds? Because when you and I are totally committed to good deeds, which is another way of expressing servanthood, there's some things that have to occur, right? We have to jump in the water when the Father's arms are open wide. We have to be willing to modify our schedules, our priorities. We have to be willing sometimes to learn some things and to to learn how to serve better. And servanthood, as we've said all through this series, it can happen in our relationships at home, it can happen in our workplaces, but it also happens within the context and confine of the body of Christ, the local church. Let's look at another one from the same book of Titus. In Titus chapter 3, verse 8, it says... You can trust what I've just said, and I want you to speak with confidence about these things so that those who have put their what? Trust. When we put our trust in Christ, our faith in Christ, our trust in Christ, same, same thing. Put their trust in God may do what? Apply themselves to what? Doing good. That's servanthood. So it's saying that, that wait a minute, it's essential, it's normal For one that calls themselves Christian, for one that has put their trust in Christ to apply themselves. That means I have to say, okay, this is something new that I am going to do. I'm going to apply myself to it. We've all applied ourselves to things through life. It means you, you kind of sacrifice other things. You prioritize and you focus on it. You, you put it up here. You make room for it. Apply ourselves to doing good or to being servants because servanthood is always going to take time, take energy, take passion. And so it calls for an investment. So those who put their trust in God, that they may apply themselves to doing good deeds... These are both good in themselves, meaning good for the people that practice it, and valuable to the community. Listen, the future of the universe, the future of the universe is going to be a universe filled with servants like Jesus. Everywhere you go, you're going to meet somebody that the only thing that's going through their mind is, I'm so glad to meet you, and I want to know who you are, and I want to do something for you. How can I bless you today? How can I serve you? What can I give to you? How can I help you? And everyone you meet, that's going to be the reciprocal treatment and conversation. The earth is going to be a safe and a beautiful place, full of loving, kind, compassionate, caring people, because they all exist to just be a blessing and to serve one another. And the training, the training for that starts right here. Let's look on. The book of James. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's going to say something about good deeds or servanthood that almost seem to contradict some other portions of the New Testament. And so let's read what he says and then I'll talk about those. James says, so you see, faith by itself isn't what? Isn't enough. What does it mean isn't enough? He's talking about salvation. But but doesn't the book of Ephesians say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, By grace we are saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. Uh, the same book of Titus we read earlier, chapter 3, verse 5. It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So, so come on, Randy, it says for sure that once we put our faith in Christ, we're saved, our sins are forgiven, we're given eternal life, and so on. Well, yes, that's absolutely true. There's no contradiction. It's what does faith mean? What, what, what does trust mean? Is, is faith just belief? In a static set of facts about Jesus or is faith or trust entering into an actual relationship with Jesus one in which he says I'm the shepherd you're the sheep are you going to hear my voice and follow me because he says in John 10:27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. It's a real relationship. It's a relationship that I now cease to do my will because I trust Jesus more than I trust me. I'm going to learn his will, learn his word, learn his ways. And when he says, stop something, I'm going to stop it. When he says, learn something, I'm going to learn it. When he says, do it, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I trust him. That's what James is saying. He says, so see, if you have faith by itself, it isn't enough, unless, unless it produces what? Good deeds. And if it doesn't produce good deeds, whatever it is we're calling trust in Christ, faith in Christ, whatever it is we're calling being a Christian, if it doesn't produce good deeds, it's dead and what? Useless. Now, I've recently fallen in almost love. I won't call it quite love yet, but I've developed fondness for something. And I'll show you a picture. That is the coffee ninja It's not just a coffee maker, no, 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 it's the ninja, it's the coffee ninja. Look how handsome it is, Um, look how well-built it is, Um, I I almost have a little affection for it, But, but to be perfectly honest with you, I wouldn't have any affection for it at all. I probably would have aggravation and disdain and criticism for it unless it did what? Make coffee, make coffee. If it doesn't make coffee, it's useless. It's it's not what it's supposed to be. It's not a ninja. It's a nacha, and a nacha. <laughs> I don't care about a nacha. I want a ninja that makes real good. And they make wonderful coffee, cup at a time, real fresh. It's really good. You ought to get one. I don't have any stock in the company. But you see my point. The point that James was making. James was saying. This is an impossibility. He's saying if a person's really trusted in Christ and now is immersing themselves in his word, his will, and wanting to be like him, he's a servant. His entire life, his entire ministry was constantly oriented in relentless outreach to those that were apart from God. He did miracles for them. He taught them. He pleaded with them. He called them back to the Father's heart. Jesus was endlessly outreach oriented. He was constantly seeking to bridge the gulf between other humans and God. He wanted people to know the truth about God, that he's the safest person in the world. He wanted people to come back and trust in him. And because he wanted that, he served them. He met any need in their life that he could. But he was endlessly a servant of reconciliation, wanting to bring others back to God. By some Christian standards that I've heard through the years, this eyeglass case right here is one of the best Christians in the world. Think about it. It doesn't cuss. It doesn't drink. It doesn't do drugs. It doesn't cheat, lie, steal. It uh, doesn't watch pornography. doesn't commit adultery. I could go on. There's a lot of don'ts. This eyeglass case doesn't do many things. I hear so many Christians, and I've been around the scene for a long time, they think that being a Christian just means that we don't do that anymore. No, no, no. We don't, we, we don't do that. No, no, no. We're Christians now. We don't, don't. It's don't, don't, don't. But what do we do? What do we do as Christians? You see, this eyeglass case, it doesn't do much. It doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't give anything to anyone. It doesn't do anything for anyone. It makes no sacrifice. It doesn't get involved with anyone. And a lot of Christians are just like it too. A lot of Christians are good, but but if you ask what are they good for, nothing. They're just good. But that goodness doesn't go any further than the tip of their nose or their front door. They're not servants, not in any meaningful way. So James is trying to penetrate through that. And he's saying that, you know, unless there's the deeds that accompany what we call trust in Christ or faith, that it's dead and it's useless and it doesn't really produce anything for anyone. Now, one of the things I've done through the years uh, in this church is try to give everyone that I can a very simple, clear picture of what your purpose for life is because if you don't know what your purpose for life is, we we tend to wander off into all kinds of tangents and we waste a lot of time and years and we get a lot of frustration. The scripture is very clear and I've put it into a tight little concept so that nobody can forget it. some of you have heard a million times. Your purpose in life, my purpose in life is to become who God created me to become who you were created to become and to do the things that God created you to do. So there's the formula. Be who God created you to be, do what God created you to do. That is the purpose of your life. If you stay with that in focus, your life will develop well. But one of the things that perhaps is not so clear is this part is that in order to become who God wants me to become, I actually have to do what he wants me to do. I introduced this earlier. It is in the doing, it is in the doing that we develop And if we don't do, we don't develop. Let me share a portion of Scripture with you from the book of Ephesians. Paul writing to Christ followers in the city of Ephesus. It says, and he, meaning Jesus, he's appointed some with grace. He's appointed some with grace. We didn't ask for it. We didn't deserve it. Some to be apostles. That's not me. I'm not one of those. And some with grace to be prophets. Not me. And some with grace to be evangelists. Eh, a little bit. And some with grace to be pastors. That's me. And some with grace to be teachers. That's me. Now, probably you didn't find yourself up there. You're not an apostle. You're not a prophet. You're not an evangelist. You're not a pastor. You're not a teacher. That's okay. This is a a leadership team. God's given gifts, spiritual gifts, so that there can be leaders. But I want you to see what our role is so that you can know what your role is. So what, what is it that this leadership team is supposed to be about and doing? Here we go. Verse 12, and their calling, that is that leadership team, and their calling is to do what? Nurture and what? Prepare. So my job is to nurture you and prepare you for what? So nurture means I've got to inspire you, I've got to encourage you, I've got to teach you, I've got to enlighten you, I've got to equip you, I've got to prepare you. But, but, but nurture you and prepare you for what? For what? To nurture and prepare all the holy believers To do their, your, my, their own, what? You have a work of ministry to do. We talked about that in another message finding your God given mission. Will you just say, if you believe that verse, will you just say it out loud? And that seems kind of silly. I have a work of ministry. Okay, thank you. And my job is to help equip you, to help prepare you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to teach you, to enlighten you, to, to create context where you can get activated in your ministry. Now, I introduced in a couple of the messages this book that was written called The Other 80% or whatever it is, and these guys did a study of all the churches in America, and they found that in... The most, in most churches in America, 20% of the congregation does 80% of the work and gives 80% of the funding. That means the other 80%, they say in this book, it's a research book, the 80, other 80% are just spectators. This ought not be so. We understand this. And I'm not saying that's the, this way in this church. I don't believe it is for one second. I don't know what the percentage is, but I, I don't believe it's that. We wouldn't be where we're at if that were the case. But... This is saying that every believer has a ministry so therefore, it should be instead of 80-20 in that, that way, it ought to, if anything, be 80-20 the other way. 80% serving and 20% that are new, they're learning, they're, they're getting healed, they're, they're getting their feet under them. Some of, them, some of us, are, we're beat up, we're damaged, we're burnt out, and we need some place to be restored for a while. You know, or maybe for a long time, maybe our whole life, but at least 80% of us ought to be functional. So I, here, here's the question. If we all attend to our ministry, what's going to happen? So let's look at it. Let's let's deconstruct them one more time. And their calling, the leadership team, is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their works of ministry. As they do this, they will what? Enlarge and do what? Build up the body of Christ. Enlarge means you will be seeking, like Jesus, endlessly to reach out to people in your circle and spheres of influence. Jesus was relentless in his Uh, attempts to reconcile people to God. You, I, me, one of our ministries is always to be seeking to invest in people, to serve people, to invite people into the kingdom of God, into church, into a relationship with Christ. And as we each attend to our ministries, church is gonna grow. It's gonna be enlarged. More people are gonna be brought to Christ and it's gonna build itself up. The body of Christ gets stronger, has more power, has more impact. Love starts to grow, but it only happens as you... As you, 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 as each of you that raised your hand and said you have a ministry, it's when you fulfill your ministry, when we all fulfill our ministry, when I fulfill my ministry, that this happens. Now, I wanna I want to emphasize one point. Look at this next verse that's in this passage. Our goal, our goal is to become like a full-grown man, or we could call it a mature person. Our goal is to become a mature person. This is right in that same passage we were just reading, 11, 12, and 13, to look just like who? So when I'm fully grown up, I'm going to be a Christ-like version of myself. When you're fully grown up, and that's the goal of every Christian, of every Christ follower, to be just like Christ and have all his what? You say, Randy, there you go with that perfection again stuff. We're not going to be perfect, Randy. We're not going to be sinless perfect. But like I said, we can sin less, right? And we can grow to be much more like Christ. And that's the goal. So here's the key, though. It's as we do our ministry, the verse that went before it, as we all own and do our ministry, the body of Christ grows, but so do we because we're a part of it and we grow to become more like Christ. Some of you have been Christians for a long time and if the truth be told, if somebody could ask you personally, your growth has been stuck for a long, long time. I'm not saying you're outwardly sinful or anything like that. From the outside, you look like a fine Christian, wonderful Christian probably. There's a lot of things you don't do and things you do and all like that. But you know inside you've hit this ceiling and you don't have passion for God as much as you would like to. You don't have passion for people as much as you like to. You don't look through your eyes and see the world and life the way Jesus does as much as you would like to. You don't feel for people and situations like Jesus does. You know that inside there's a lot of a lot of conflict, there's, there's habits that seem to not go away, even though you've wanted them to for years, maybe decades. So your growth has been stuck, and you haven't been able to figure out what to do. You thought, okay, I'm going to get alone with God, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to start reading Christian books, and all these things are good to do. I'm going to go to church every Sunday, all these things are good to do. But you're still stuck, some of you, and you can't figure out what to do. And I've known this experience, and I know what, what, an, what a very disorienting experience it can be. And the answer often is, you've got to roll up your sleeves and serve, really serve, perhaps in ways, in places that you don't feel adequate, safe, comfortable. Serve when you don't feel you have the time or the energy. The father in the pool, the mother in the pool with arms open wide. Come on, jump in! It's wonderful. And the kid terrified to jump in. I can't. It'll kill me. It'll destroy me. I want. I want to tell. Is there a tailor in the house? I need a tailor. A tailor. <laughs> Not a clothing tailor. I need those too. But this is Taylor. And uh, <laughs> many of you have seen Taylor uh, on the stage. He's um, you know one of the musicians. And actually, to tell you a little bit about Taylor. He's been on our staff in the church for about two years, and he probably served two or three years uh, before that in the church, and one of his duties is to oversee the band, make sure that everything comes together the way it should, and um, truth be told, I mean, Taylor and I, you know, we have to interact a lot, but um, truth be told, we, we I, I mean, this is kind of not a bad place to say, but we just don't see eye to eye on much, um, so I felt like I wanted to straighten this out in front of everybody. <laughs> Now we see eye to eye. <laughs> All kidding aside, um, how many instruments do you play? Um, about five or six. Can, six, you, can you tell us some of the ones? Um, drums, bass, keys, guitar, um, saxophone, trombone, and probably some other percussive <laughs> instruments. But that's that's enough. I don't know. Okay. W- would you? And I know you're not a boastful person, but would you call yourself a musician? Yes. Okay. See, I would not call myself a musician, um, but you, you boldly call yourself a musician. Most days, yes. Okay. So see, <laughs> see, like when he was a child, um, he could just sit down at a piano and just play out songs immediately. He could pick up a guitar and just immediately play just like he does today. Is that right? No, no. What do you mean, no? No, I couldn't. I couldn't. You mean, okay. So you mean to tell me there was a time... When it was impossible for you to play an instrument of any kind? Completely impossible. Comple- would it have been overwhelming? Yes, I probably would have cried. <laughs> yeah. And so, why did you start playing instruments? Started because I enjoyed music and also because my parents really pushed me to do it. Okay. But once they stopped pushing and your enjoyment came, you continued at continued it, right? Continued to grow and practice. All right, all right. So, I want to get this down. So how did you get from being overwhelmed by it, completely unable, you couldn't do anything musically, to getting to be the musician that you are now, which is a very good musician. How did you you get from there to there? Many, many hours of practice over many, many, many years. so. So you were doing it. You were taking the instruments, you were practicing, you were learning. And when he was practicing, Each time he's trying to do it better, okay? Little things done over a long period of time produce this. He was transformed. Listen carefully now. Here's where where the goal comes. There was a time when he was not a musician, But by doing things that he once found impossible, doing things that he couldn't do, he not only discovered in time he could do them, he could do them easily and finally do them really, really good. And now he can do them on a professional level and it transformed him. He's not the same person. He doesn't even have the same brain. He has new neural pathways. He is truly transformed. Hence, that's what God wants to do with us. Thank you, Taylor. Mm -hmm. He wants us to jump in, <laughs> jump in to his loving arms into the pool of servanthood. And you're not going to feel comfortable, and you're not going to feel like you have the time, and you might not be appreciated, and your first couple experiences may not go well. I, I don't know. I just know this. I know that's how I started. I just started serving. When, when I was 23 years old, I became a follower of Christ And I just kept moving around. If it was in front of my face, I did it. I served God anywhere I could. And when I did that, he kept moving me, developing me, developing me, and it ended this way. So, here's a couple of last verses. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who was at Ephesus Attending to the church there. He says to Timothy, train yourself. Notice it was his responsibility. And in that word in the Greek, it's gymnasia. We get our word gymnasium from it. Train yourself for what? I'm not going to be godly. I'm not going to be a God-centered person. I'm not going to think like God, feel like God, behave like God unless I train. I got I to get a regimen. I have to read my Bible regularly. I have to study my Bible. I have to get in church every Sunday. I have to pray. I have to, you know, be involved with other believers, all, all these kinds of things. Take, train yourself. Take what? Take pains, take pains with these things. Be what? Oh, that calls for a modifying schedule. Take pains, be absorbed with these things. So that everyone will what? See your progress. That's transform, transformation. People are going to see it. When you train, when you put pains into your servanthood, be absorbed with your servanthood, you're going to become a servant like Jesus and everybody's gonna know it and everybody's gonna bless and thank God for you because of who you're becoming. It's through doing that we become and we don't feel adequate to do when we start. You just gotta trust God. It's the kid in the pool again. The parent knows it's gonna be great once you get in, but it's gonna be scary when you first get in. One last and final verse. Here's God's invitation. So seize any opportunity the Lord gives you to do what? Good things, that's servanthood, and be a blessing. That's servanthood. Be a blessing to everyone, especially those within our faithful family. So here's the closing opportunity. We all have an opportunity right now if we've never done so before to become a part of the family of God, to put our trust in Christ, the creator of the universe, the one that loved us so much, he died on the cross to prove it. We can put our trust in him today and become his followers and we will dwell in his kingdom for time and eternity and he'll start that process in us now to help us become who we were always meant to become and do what we were always meant to do. And remember, it's in the doing that we become. They work together. Now, some of us here, we're not sure what our ministry is. We're not engaged. Why not at least take what that last verse said? Take that thing that's right in front of you. It might be in your family. Just start serving your husband. Start serving your wife. Start serving your kids. Kids start serving your parents. Start serving those in your your place of your school start serving in your place of work serve every way you can just in every day get up in the morning and say God what good thing can I do for somebody today keep me sensitized to it and then look in the local church Lord how can I serve in the local church let me just get how many of you can drive a car can I see your hands okay cool got a place for you we, we, we need drivers. You don't need any special license. We need drivers to help. We, we bring a lot of people that don't have transportation Church. We need drivers. You want to serve, there's an opportunity. Well, how many of you can at least get on a computer and uh, get information for yourself or do email? Can I see your hands? Great. Got a place for you. W- those kiosks that are out there in the lobby uh, where we check kids in and all like that, we need people to help with those. Not overwhelming. Uh, you, you, might, you might play an instrument or you might sing. Um, wide open opportunity. We, we need, but you know, I want to be realistic. I, I couldn't make the cut. It, you have to be, you know, somewhat talented, uh, but we would very much like to talk to you if you sing or if you play an instrument. So there, there's a whole gamut of things. We have a whole booklet full of opportunities. So seize the opportunity and start the process of becoming who God always intended you to become. You'll never regret it, but you'll really never regret it once you sink about 20, 30 years into it. You'll be so happy that you listened at this one time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us by your spirit to know you're speaking to us today. Jump in, jump in. Just trust me and jump in. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.